Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the RV Miles podcast, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 36 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Jason and I and our three boys are over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. On this episode, we're going to cover fuel-efficient driving tips. I'm really excited about this. Abby is not. (laughs) This might be the section where I take just a really short nap. Jason can nudge me when he's done talking about all his tips and tricks, which are great to have. And fuel-efficient driving is awesome. It's just not in my wheelhouse of things that I'm interested in. I actually have a lot of great ideas, though, and I think some things that you might not have thought about, some some tips and tricks for from some experts on how to really save a decent amount of fuel when you're driving these big fuel gobbling machines down the road. And hey, I love saving money because when we save money, that means I don't feel so bad when I go get a coffee at Starbucks that costs four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Which basically costs like two tanks of gas or fuel. <laughs> We're also going to talk about Kasha Katui Tent Rocks National Monument. So cool. This is a really cool place. You might it might not be on your radar because it's actually one of the few national monuments that is not administered by the National Park Service. It's administered by the Bureau of Land Management. So uh, you might not have seen it on their website or things like that, but it is a really cool place just outside of kind of in between Santa Fe and Albuquerque, where we're staying right now. And we are loving our time here in the Santa Fe, Albuquerque area. And there has just been so much to do and explore. And frankly, it's just been really nice to be closer to a bigger town that's had a few more options for going into town and doing things. We've taken the kids to museums and there's just been so much. And it's been really nice to be near a Target. And I know that sounds so silly, (laughs) but I'm going to be honest. I haven't been able to walk a Target in a really long time. And that Target I was in yesterday in Albuquerque was, it was the, it was like a legit Target. It was so good. (laughs) It is. We love getting away from civilization for a while. But every now and then it is nice to get back to some of the comforts of a city. Well, I think it just goes back to the fact that you and I lived for 15 years in Chicago. We walked to grocery stores. We took the train to get downtown. We had relationships with our delivery individuals. (laughs) We lived a very urban lifestyle for a very long time. And while it has been really wonderful to get away from that, I think we still have to acknowledge it's part of who we are. And sometimes we need to connect with that urban part of ourselves again and walk a mall. (laughs) I need to go to the mall. (laughs) And if you're going to be in an urban area, these two, Santa Fe and Albuquerque, are great ones because they have a lot of natural aspects to them. You have got beautiful mountain ranges in the background, a lot of stuff to explore. Well, we have said several times that as we continue to travel, we always look at towns or locations where could we put roots down here? Like if we decided we didn't want to travel full time anymore, could we live in this area? And I absolutely feel like I could do that in Albuquerque. Yeah, It has the museums. And I feel that way about Santa Fe. I know. We're, we're arguing which one we would live in. <laughs> we're, arguing, we're arguing about it. Why I vote for Albuquerque is I like the fact that it had the Natural History and Science Museum, the Children's Museum, art museums. It sort of has that culture that as a homeschooling family or just as individuals and personal individual, I like to have that at my doorstep. I like to be able to take the kids to museums on rainy days. And Albuquerque has that for me, whereas I know Santa Fe really has more of like the art and culture that you and I personally like. Anyway, we are going to talk about both of those towns on a future episode when when, when we're kind of done exploring them. We've still got a lot to do. I know we're going to have to have like a debate whether or not we like Santa Fe or Albuquerque more <laughs> for future, but for a future podcast, of course. <laughs> Before we get into our featured topics, we have a few news items to hit. 
First of all, we want to mention that our latest episode of the National Parks podcast is out again. We'll let you know what it is every week. Yeah, get used to this, people. This is going to happen every week. (laughs) This one we're really excited about, though. It's pirates. Weren't we excited about last week's? Yes. We're excited every week. But but this is the first one that's like a fun topic. The other ones are cool and interesting. This one's fun. This was like swashbuckling, lost cities, lost individuals. It was a lot of fun to kind of learn that there's so much pirate history attached to our national parks. I did not know that. We actually picked only two stories out of many, many that we could have chose from. And these are centered around Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Check it out on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd sure appreciate a listen there. So some of the news items though we wanted to talk about this week. First of all, there are people that are getting deals left and right on camping gear at Walmart right now. We are not one of those people. <laughs> well, we just haven't gone to look yet. But well, I mean, I'm talking crazy deals. There are people that are getting the big pop-up canopies for 15 bucks a piece and tents for 30 bucks a piece. Walmart is clearancing a whole bunch of camping gear to make room for new camping gear. And people are finding this all across the country. So I don't know if it's too late or not yet. But go run out to your Walmart and see if you can get some of this stuff that there we I did see a couple items at this small Walmart we were at a week or so ago, but they were like large cast iron pans for seven bucks. It's like the blue light special of Walmart (laughs) right now. (laughs) So check that out if you're interested. The next item on the news is uh, it's a big deal. Trailer thefts are really on the rise right now. We've been seeing this a lot in a lot of the Facebook groups, and we've been seeing news stories about it as well. People are getting their RVs stolen. A lot of them, they're just finding that they're stolen when they go to get them from the the place that they had them stored at. And it's a really sad thing it's you know, awful. to show up and, and find your trailer. And some of these people live in them full time and have their homes stolen. I don't understand I how imagine. that happens. I mean... Someone well, just pulls in. That's the thing. They drives pull their... in with their truck, they hook it up, and they go away. That's awful. So it is super important that you get a lock for the hitch on your trailer. Even if you if you tow a dolly, get a get a lock for your dolly as well, because those get stolen a lot as well. And we're gonna we're gonna recommend a we're gonna recommend a lock. Uh, we we really like the master lock, trailer lock, this universal trailer coupler lock. We have one and it works really well. And what's nice about it is it's real solid piece of metal and there's no like spring loaded mechanism inside. A lot of people you might have and check if you do this sort of U-bolt shaped trailer lock. The Reese, Reese Tow Power makes one and there are other different brands that make them. These things are really easy to crack. You can just stick a crowbar in them and pop them open. You can also just slide a business card or a credit card up inside the lock tumbler, which is spring loaded and pop it open. So don't get one of those. Get get the master lock. There are even some beefier ones out there that you can find. But we'll link to the master lock one that I really like in the show notes. But definitely make sure you have a trailer lock and think of some other ways to make sure your trailer is safe. There are people that are buying GPS devices to stick in them. You can do things like chain your bikes up to them stuff. Just anything that makes it more difficult for somebody to steal your trailer, the better. Have the slides out. If your RV is parked and the slides are in, it is much easier for somebody to steal that RV and take it away. If the slides are out, they're not going to want to tow it down the highway. You just got to be a real son of a gun to go and steal someone's trailer. You do. I don't even know what else to say to that. I think a lot of us let our guard up a little bit at the campground too. Everybody's so nice at campgrounds. People, and it's not just trailers. Some people have gotten their truck and trailer stolen recently or their motorhome. You leave the keys in your truck because you're right there with it. But you go down to the bathroom or whatever. You walk down to the lake. It's a constant worry I have. Like if we're going to go somewhere... I always make sure we bring both sets of keys. Like I don't ever want to leave a set of keys in here that someone could just bust right in and start her up. And, and please, if you are 
if you're boondocking at a Walmart or a truck stop or a rest area or anywhere, do not unhook your trailer. Leave it hooked up. Do not take your truck off and drive away. First of all, it's rude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those places <laughs> don't expect you to be doing that. That's not what they're for. They, they'll, they'll let you stay overnight, but it's not camping. You're not going to explore the area. But, I, you know, those are places where a lot of people are getting their trailer stolen. I just want to point out that you forgot to call it wall docking and boon barrel. Yeah, okay. How can I get this well, trend started if you won't support me? Stop trying it. to make fetch a thing, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> Our last news item is this is so this is an interesting thing. I saw a Facebook post today about microwaves. A woman posted in one of the RV groups that she doesn't use her microwave and she stores her dog's treats in there. Right. And she came home and there was a really bad smoky odor and smoke in the air and, you know, just a real acrid stench. And she searched around and found it. And the dog treats had been cooking in her microwave. Now, of course, a lot of people were like, duh, your dog's trying to get the, get the treats out of the microwave during the day. Right. Oh yeah. Give me my kibbles and bits. (laughs) And you know, of course dogs are, you know, they're, they're going to go after food, but listen, this is, I did a little bit of research on this and this is actually a big deal. Microwaves starting on their own. There is a, there are several different recalls of microwaves that start on their own there. It's just a real common problem with a bunch of GE microwaves. Okay, wait, hold. I got to dig into this for just a second before you go on. Are you talking about microwaves installed into RVs or are you talking about just like the microwave that Jane and Joe have sitting on their counter and their sticks and I'm talking about any microwave. It is a problem across the microwave industry (laughs) where it happens. And there have been a few different reports of microwaves in RVs turning on on their own. And one caused a serious fire that I could find. But big point here, a lot of people that have RVs don't use their microwave. Don't store things in your microwave. Don't put your dog's treats <laughs> in the microwave. Unless you unplug it. Now, even if your, RV, if your RV has a microwave installed into it, it's still probably plugged in behind it. So you can pull that microwave out. You could pull that microwave out and just use that space for the same storage you had. <laughs> yes, that's so true. Or you could pull it out, unplug it, put it back in. But don't store things in your microwave because apparently... They like to start on their own. It's not a ghost. It's not it's the dog. A real, it's a real issue in the industry. I'm not an incredibly anxious individual, I would say, but I'm looking at the microwave now and I'm just thinking to myself, are you going to start like in any minute? Am I, are we going to have issues? Like I'm going to be thinking about this now while we're out and about tomorrow in Albuquerque. Did the microwave start while we were gone? I'm probably going to start unplugging the microwave now before we leave. Well, the good news is that your microwave isn't likely to just start and stay on. It doesn't matter at this point, Jason. <laughs> you have put this into my brain and probably the brains of others. I'm now going to have to unplug the microwave before we leave. All right. Well, just one thing to uh, make us late for whatever we're trying to do that day. <laughs> which, is, which is different how like, we're always late. <laughs> That's it for the news. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about some driving tips for saving fuel. And I'm going to take a nap. I mean, I'm going to listen attentively. All right, we are back and we have the answer to last week's brain teaser. It went like this. I have an end, but no beginning. A star, but no moon. A home, but no family. And a space without room. I never speak, 
but there is no word I cannot make. What am I? What are you, Jason? I actually already know, but what are you? A keyboard. A keyboard. A keyboard. Computer keyboard, not like a piano keyboard. That no. wouldn't make any sense. That'd be silly. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. I'd have to reword it entirely. Yeah. All right. Our winner this week, and we have changed the prize, Uh-oh. by the way. Blue light special. <laughs> our winner this week is Jim Edmonds from Iowa. Jim is going to win a Home is Where We Roam t-shirt, which is available on Amazon, created by yours truly. RV Miles swag. benefits RV Miles. So if you, you know, if you want to support us a little bit, we'll provide a link in the show notes and you can go buy a Home is Where We Roam or a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. And we've got several more on the way. What I'm really excited about is we've got some of the uh, the vintage National Park poster t-shirts on the way. So those should be pretty cool. We're just all about the blue light specials tonight, <laughs> aren't we? It's like the third time. Deals going on all over the place. <laughs> we will have the new brain teaser at the end of the show. And if you send us the right answer, you will be thrown into a pool for the prize for next week. So Jason... Let's Abby. talk. Yes. Let's talk about how I could drive bussy and get really, really good gas mileage. Let's just say we were in a another universe, another dimension, and I was actually driving this yeah. bus. Let's assume that you might actually be interested <laughs> in driving it. How could Listen, I? <laughs> I don't I don't I don't envy you dealing with the kids while I drive. Yeah, I'm perfectly I, yeah. comfortable with driving. <laughs> yeah, you're not up every 35 seconds because Henry needs another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And if I were to prep 22 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before we actually got on the road, he wouldn't want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. He only wants it when there is not one available and his mother is sitting across from him trying to do some work. That's really when he wants the sandwich. Obviously, these big old machines we drive, whether they're trucks pulling a trailer or whether it's a motorhome or even a smaller SUV pulling a small trailer, these things take fuel. They take a decent amount of fuel. And some most most motorhomes are getting 10 miles a gallon or less. Saving one mile a gallon can be saving you over 10 percent. It could be hundreds of dollars in a year, depending on how much you drive. So we put together this list of some tips that will help you save fuel while you're driving your RV. So let's just dive in. The first tip has to do less with driving and what you do while you're driving and more with the route you plan. So obviously you want to make sure that you plan the 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 best route to your de- next destination. And we like to use this tool called flattestroute.com to make sure that we're driving the flattest route to our next destination. Boy, that has saved us a couple times from going. It really has. Yeah, going a direction that we would have just regretted. You can see the different grades. You can see how many 3%, 4%, 5%, 6% grades there are. And, you know, once you get into that 4% plus grade, those are some serious grades going up. And you lose fuel mileage so fast in one of these big heavy machines when you're going uphill. It's not as big of a deal in a car. It's a massive deal in a motorhome. You might be getting two miles a gallon, three miles a gallon going up a steep grade. So really try to plan your trip to avoid those steep grades and try to plan your trip to avoid a lot of stopping and starting. There's a lot of RVers that don't like to use the interstates, but we really love using the interstates because the grades are less and because we can keep a steady speed. There are less changes in speed, so there's less braking. Uh, there are less stop signs and stoplights and things like that that you have to avoid railroad tracks. Well, and frankly, it gets us there quicker. It does, it does. We love scenic routes as well, but we like to get where we're going and take the scenic routes in our car. Yes. I don't care for the scenic routes in the bus because I'm generally like trying to keep something from falling apart because <laughs> <laughs> there's it's usually not a very smooth road that you're on. Yeah. So planning your route is is one tip. Next tip, accelerate gently. 
I think everybody knows this, but we all forget it. And we like to just stick our foot down on the ground. And in an RV, that's even more pronounced because like in our bus here, I can stick my foot on the floor and not much happens. Uh, it still takes the same amount of time to get up to the same speed. The bus is like, what? What are you wanting from me? But the thing <laughs> is, I could put my foot down slower. The same thing would happen and I would be using less fuel. So and, and you think just those little things don't add up to much. But you're actually using a drastic amount of fuel getting up to highway speed or going up an on ramp. You know, it's just starting out on a road. That's a lot of the fuel usage you have. So really make sure you accelerate gently. A good rule of thumb is to take about five seconds to accelerate 15 miles an hour from a stop. For a manual transmission, you want to use a moderate throttle position. So you're not having your foot all the way down and shifting between 2000 and 2500 RPM is going to be ideal to keep you from using too much fuel with your acceleration. Along those lines, maintain a steady speed. So slowing down and speeding up can drastically ruin your fuel mileage. They say that dips in speed combined with spurts of acceleration can actually increase your fuel use by up to 20%. That's a lot of money in a year. That's a lot. A lot. So one easy fuel efficient driving technique is to use cruise control on the highway. Now, a lot of people are going to tell you that cruise control is actually worse for your fuel mileage. And sometimes that's true because your cruise control might overcompensate too much. When you get to a hill, it accelerates too quickly and, and uses too much fuel. I feel like our van does that. I do not particularly care to use the cruise control right now in this particular area because yeah. I feel like the van just revs so high up in the RPMs going uphill and I don't understand. You feel like you don't need it. No, right. I feel like I don't need it and it kind of startles me and, to be and honest. And it doesn't let go, you know, you could let go much earlier if you were manually doing it. So I agree that that is the way to go in a car that you just use the cruise control on the flats and on hillier areas you don't want to use cruise control in in towns, of course. However, in the bus, what I have noticed is that going uphill, the foot is on the floor. I'm trying to get the max speed that I can get. And I think this is a true truism in a lot of motorhomes that you actually are using more fuel to get that max speed that you're going to get than your cruise control would be. When I plop the cruise control on, my RPMs go down a little bit on some of those hillier areas. It doesn't actually use as much fuel as I tend to use when I don't have the cruise control on. You have so, a heavy foot. So play with it a little bit because I think in these bigger vehicles, it actually might make sense sometimes to use the cruise control on those hillier areas. And people will tell you, you can't use cruise control with towing and you absolutely can. There's nothing wrong with that, but just be careful about some of the hillier and twistier turning areas. You wanna be sort of ready for anything that happens. Next tip, anticipate traffic. So braking is one of the biggest things that causes drops in fuel efficiency especially surprise braking. So you're going down the road at 55 miles an hour, whatever you're going at, and you hit the brakes because somebody is, you know, flying in the lane in front of you. Uh, somebody's coming up on the on-ramp and you look like you're going to meet with them. If you anticipate those things and don't have to hit the brakes, you are not losing that fuel efficiency that you're getting naturally from coasting. Similarly, you want to coast to decelerate whenever you can. So I know this drives my wife crazy, but if you see a light is about to change, you can, you can come way off the gas way early and just slowly coast up to that light because you know you're not going to make it in the first place. That doesn't drive me crazy. <laughs> It's when the light changes, Jason, and we're still sitting there and all the other cars are going past us. And I have to say, honey, it's a green light. Well, I'm accelerating gently. No, you're <laughs> looking out the window at something shiny. 
<laughs> That's what drives me crazy. <laughs> Similarly, though, if a light is red, you see a light red way up ahead of you. Brake now. Hit the brakes. Slowly get to that light so that you don't have to come to a stop. If you don't have to come to a stop, you haven't lost all of your momentum. So if you can slow down a little bit and that way you're kind of coasting to the light until it turns green and then you can hit the gas, then you're saving a lot of fuel by not having to come to a complete stop. Next tip. This is the big one. And this is the one that some people aren't going to like. Avoid high speeds. Just stop speeding slow it down take your time but then i will never get to where i need to get to <laughs> yes, jason you, you know the thing is dropping five miles an hour if you're doing an hour drive you're only saving a couple minutes okay this is true and you know what i will say this driving in this particular area but going to santa Fe, or albuquerque i have found to be incredibly stressful oh i know the 75 miles an hour it's the speed limit is 75 miles per hour and people then want to do 85 miles an hour. And I cannot do 85 miles an hour. I just can't do it. Like, I feel so nervous driving And that, that fast. that's talking about the car. Yeah, the, we the, can't even. The bus is never going to go that fast. <laughs> no, the bus will be lucky but if it ever hits 63. some of you have RVs that, that can go that fast. Slow it down. First of all, it's not safe. The state you're in might have a towing speed limit that is less than the posted speed limit. It's not good for your trailer tires. If you pull a trailer, often the speed limit for your trailer tires is 65, maybe even less. You know, it's, it's not fuel efficient. Once you get over 50 miles an hour, generally in most vehicles, 55, 50 miles an hour is about where you start losing fuel efficiency the faster you go. You're wasting a lot of money by putting that foot down. So look at it like this. According to fueleconomy.gov, every five miles per hour you drive over 50 miles an hour is like paying an extra 14 cents per gallon of fuel. That's a big difference. And if you're, you know, you make a big deal out of going to one gas station because it's four cents less, <laughs> but, but, but you're willing to drive incredibly fast to Touché. get where you're going. Touche, Epperson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it makes a huge difference. You know, the sweet spot in most vehicles is, especially in an automatic vehicle, is where the, where the shift point is up to your top gear. So wherever your vehicle shifts into your highest gear, that speed is is your ideal speed. And anything past that, that's you're going to be using the lowest RPMs you need to in that gear. Anything past that, you're going to be using more fuel than you potentially need to. Obviously, going too slow can be dangerous as well. But as long as you're, you know, within the range of height of highway speeds, I don't subscribe to the notion that you have to be going with the flow of traffic on a multi-lane highway. Oh, I know. Partially because this bus won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah, the bus won't. I was thinking about when you're driving the van, but yes, the bus will not. It's not dangerous to be driving slower as long as you are not in the in the passing lane. Obviously, you don't want to be driving slow in the passing lane. But if you're in the right lane, there's no reason that you can't be driving five miles per hour below the speed limit. There's none at all. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's the most legal way to drive. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to save a lot of money. You really are going to save a lot of money on fuel driving slower. Tire pressure. Maintain the proper tire pressure for your tires. We've talked about this before. The proper tire pressure for your tires is not what is printed on the side of the tire that is your max tire pressure the proper pressure for your tires is what is listed on your vehicle we have a big article explaining why that we'll link to in the show notes but basically you want your tire to hit the road at the right shape if it is underinflated, you're losing miles per gallon if it's overinflated, you're losing braking power either under or overinflated are wearing the tire underinflated is worse than overinflated but you really want to make sure you have the proper tire pressure i test our tire pressure before every long drive the day before i 
you know, I go up, fill any tires that I need to, little bit, little bit of air out of any tires that I need to, if the weather has changed drastically or whatever. And it really does, it makes a difference, not only in our uh, miles per gallon, but in the ride of our vehicle. So maintain that proper tire pressure. Some RV specific things, keep your weight down. Think about the things that you're traveling with, how much they weigh, and do you really need them? Are there things that you're hauling around with you that are that are just adding weight to your rig? Weight doesn't make that much of a difference on the flats, but weight makes a huge difference, again, on the hills. So really keep it down wherever you can. Think about the vehicle you're towing behind you. We tow a minivan behind us, oh and it's gosh. quite heavy. Yeah. And we often take it off when we're going up a hill. That probably doesn't save us any money because then we're running that engine. But it uh, it helps us go a little bit faster up some of the really steep grades. Yeah, we have <laughs> kind of decided that anytime we have a journey that's really going to have a lot of steep grades, we opt not to pull the van behind us. It's more about peace of mind and safety. But think about that when you're thinking if you haven't bought your rig yet and you're thinking about if you're going to be towing a vehicle behind you or if you're thinking about just what kind of trailer you're going to get the weight is going to affect your fuel mileage and that is going to make a difference and you want to take that into consideration. In addition, think about the water that you're hauling. Water weighs a lot. I think it's like eight pounds a gallon. And if you've got a 50 gallon tank, it's 400 pounds right there. And then you might have it in your gray tank and in your black tank as well. So traveling without water and without your tanks full, without your waste tanks full, is a really good way to save some of that excess weight. Fill up the water when you get to the campground or wherever you need to be. Just keep enough water in there to get you through sort of the travel day to get a drink or, or wash a couple dishes if you need to, or to think, use the toilet. Or think about if you are headed to a destination where you're going to be boondocking and you need these tanks filled. Think about seeing if you can do that closer to the destination, yeah. not necessarily as you get on the road. That's something you could maybe map out on your journey so that maybe the back half of your trip has these full tanks as opposed to the full trip. Absolutely. Finally, the last thing I wanted to mention is fuel additives. Now, fuel additives for gasoline engines can often be a little bit of hooey, a little a little medicine manish, a little, you know, they're, they're things that really don't do a lot for your engine. They may they may provide a little bit of a little bit of cleansing properties for, for your engine. They're really not going to do much to increase your miles per gallon. However, a diesel engine, a good cetane additive, especially one that that does other things. I really like the diesel clean with cetane boost and what a cetane booster does is it just it adds this cetane chemical back into your fuel the cetane is kind of like the octane number it's not exactly the same thing but it's kind of like octane in a gasoline engine and highway diesel is generally 40 to 45 cetane i don't know if it's parts per million or whatever it is and a cetane booster is going to boost that up. A diesel engine really ought to be running at about 50 cetane. And, and that fuel just is no longer allowed by the government. So what you can do is then pour in a little additive. I don't know why they can't just put the additive in the fuel in the first place. But you can put a cetane additive in your fuel. And it really will give you a, up to like an 8% increase in your fuel mileage for a $6 bottle we put in our 100-gallon tank it's a it's an absolute no-brainer plus the kind we use this diesel clean with cetane boost is also an injector cleaner and it keeps the injectors from gumming up because the fuel that they sell you now is not as viscous as diesel fuel used to be and it does sort of gum up your injector so it's really not only is it good for fuel mileage, it's kind of important in maintaining your pretty darn expensive engine. So really, it's a no brainer. I'll link to that as well in the show notes. All right, that is sort of our list of the top tips for fuel efficient driving. If you have any other suggestions for fuel efficient driving, let us know and we'll 
we'll add them to the list or we'll talk about them on a future episode. Yeah, just email us over at editor at rvmiles.com. All right, we will be back in just a moment and we're going to talk about the Kasha Katui Tent Rocks National Monument just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Be right back. All right. As we said before, we are in the Santa Fe, Albuquerque area. We're actually a little bit closer to Santa Fe right now. Yeah, about 10 miles closer to Santa Fe. Kind of a dead man zone in between. Yes, it is. (laughs) But we are staying at Cochiti Lake Recreation Area, which is a Army Corps of Engineers recreation area. And it's really nice. We're going to talk about it on one of our uh, Santa Fe, Albuquerque episodes. But it is very close to the Kasha Katui Tent Rocks National Monument. And as I mentioned before, it is not a National Park Service unit. So you don't get a visitor center. It's on tribal land and the tribal land has a visitor center. We haven't been able to get to it yet because it's not open on the weekends when we were at the National Monument. And I think they're going to have a little bit of information there. But you don't have rangers that are going to give you info. You don't have... Uh, a junior ranger program, all that kind of stuff. But it's a really cool place to visit and it's really, really worth going to. Absolutely. It's only six miles from where we're staying. So it's just a hop, skip and a jump. One thing to note is that this is a very popular national monument. And if you go on a weekend or maybe even later in the afternoon or during the peak seasons in the summer, you're probably going to wait to get in. It's a small parking lot for a national monument. And we went last Sunday and we sat probably for about 20, 25 minutes before we were able to get through the gates and into the park itself. There's there's a gate where they collect your fee. It's $5 per vehicle unless you have a national parks pass and you just sort of wait in line. And as one car comes out, they let the next car in. Yeah, there's really no scientific structure to it. It's literally (laughs) that car just left. So now you get to go in and then there will be someone in the parking lot area who will direct you like, hey, two rows down, third car in that there's a spot for the van there. Go park. So there's no water. There's no sort of concessions. There's no gift shop. There is uh, pit toilets. Uh, but there's nowhere to wash your hands. There's nowhere to fill up a water bottle. And, you know, there's hiking. This is why you're going here is, is some hiking. So you are going to need some water. So make sure to bring that. Yeah. And even though there's not these sort of amenities that we have come to expect with national park sites, it doesn't matter. Like this space is so beautiful. And what you get to look upon and like just being there in the Cochiti land is I just, I keep saying this every time we go somewhere and I know I sound like a broken record, but this was just a really amazing afternoon. And we it did, really was. it was, and we did, so there's two hikes that you can do. We did the loop trail that was 1.2 miles with the boys. It takes you sort of on the outskirts of the tent rocks and it's great. There's not a lot of up and down. It's a nice gravel trail yeah it's kind of between sand and gravel it's almost more like sand and they do say that a portion of it is handicap accessible i don't think you could take a wheelchair on it or a walker i wouldn't have been able to push the stroller no so i'm not quite sure how that can be it's flat but it's sandy but it is very sandy and it's deep so the wheels would sink for sure It is going to take you on the outskirts of Tent Rocks. There's going to be this 1.2 mile trail. There's going to be like a cave that you can observe. Do not go into the cave. There is a sign that says do not go into the cave. People do. And there were people going into the cave. And our kids walked up. And I think Jack said something like, 
they were in the cave and the sign says you're not supposed to be in the cave. I know they were, they, our kids were not happy. We're they not were, happy. we were proud of our little junior we were, rangers. Like, we were, they were, they were, they had a junior ranger moment. They did. They did. They don't have many of those, but they, ha- they did have one. So the big thing that you're going to see here are these rock formations that are, sh- they're, they're shaped like cones, kind of like teepees, you know, they are, they're, some people call them hoodoos. They're, they're not like the hoodoos that you see at some of the other National Park Service sites. But a hoodoo essentially is a piece of rock. I think they're all volcanic where stuff is worn away around them. Yeah. And it leaves these cones behind. They're really beautiful. That's mostly what you're here to look at. This cave loop trail, you get up close to them and you walk between some of the more eroding ones. The more beautiful ones are kind of set back and you're not up close to those. Uh, but you get to see them, you know, you get to take pictures and they, they're they they're beautiful. Yeah. And if you take the Slot Canyon Trail, which is a trail that's actually going to take you up to uh, an overlook to the top of one of the mountains, you're going to get an opportunity to see some incredibly beautiful tent rock formations and also you're going to get an opportunity to go into a canyon go quite close into the canyon we opted not to do this hike with our boys yeah so i stayed in the car with the boys after we did the cave loop trail while abby went on her own and did this hike i did so it was a mile and a half to the top and a mile and a half back it was three miles total and you gain i think it's you gain like 1200 feet i'm not quite sure it's that high well, but according maybe. to the sign it, it was oh, really it was about okay. 1200 feet you gain a lot of elevation you do start climbing Towards the end yeah. of the trail. So the beginning of the trail is you're just down in the canyon and it is spectacular. I kept trying to take these pictures that just couldn't do it justice. And you will go through this. And before I even get further into it, this was the first time I had ever done a solo hike. And having done this and having been out on the trail by myself, I absolutely will do this again. I want Jason to go back over and do this hike as well. I think there is something to be said for being out on a trail by yourself. It was the first time in a long time that I just heard myself talking, that I just had enough time to actually listen to myself. And so it was just really, really incredible. And I recommend it to anyone. There were a lot of people on this trail, so I yeah, didn't so feel this is alone. a place where, yeah, you wouldn't feel unsafe doing it. No, place not at like all. This. this and it was a Sunday. It was very busy. So this trail is going to take you, It's it stays pretty flat, I would say, for about, probably about half of it. And you're going to have places in this trail where only one individual can pass. So you do have to allow for the people who are coming down or if they're going to allow for you, depending on how it's laid out. You're going to climb. You're going to have to climb up rocks and boulders to continue your way up towards the top of the mountain. So if that is something that you are uncomfortable with, this may not be the hike for you. There were a couple people who did opt to turn around. They got to a certain point and they said, you know what, I know I can't make this and I probably shouldn't continue on, which I thought was really smart to know your body and know your body's limitations. I thought that this was probably one of the most beautiful hikes I've ever taken. It is spectacular and you get up to the top and you're starting to make your way up to the summit and you just get to look out over the top of all of these tent rocks and the tops of these other mountains and you're up there I mean you had I had to climb up a ledge which required me to get my leg up quite high <laughs> like, and I'm a fairly tall person I'm five seven so There are some places where they ask a lot of you physically. And man, I was trekking up that trail and I'm going to tell the sad part of the story. I didn't think I was going to tell it, but I'll tell it. And I am trekking up and I'm trekking up and I am so close to the summit. Like I am just a couple hundred feet and a ranger stops me and turns me around and says that the trail is now closed. And I started crying. I will fully admit it. I started crying 
because I was so proud of myself for what I had done and that I had done it solo. And I was so close to completing it. And the ranger's like, the trail's now closed. We need everyone to start making their way down. And it was about an hour before the park was actually supposed to close. So a lot of us were very surprised. There were several of us that got turned around. And there's no sign. No, there's no ranger waiting at the entrance of the trail to say, hey, it's going to close at a certain time. Nothing like that. Yeah. And I have to say to just be so close and to not make it. Obviously, I want to go back and try again. But, you know, I I looked at her and I said, but I'm so close. And you were back to the car by 420. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And they're trying to have everybody out of there by five. Yeah, the way down is much faster than the way up. And I ended up being able to break away from the crowd as well to get down because a lot of people were lingering up at the top who didn't get to make it all the way up to the top. They were kind of lingering at like the second summit, like the pre-summit to the summit. And so, you know, I broke away because I was because I was crying and I didn't want people to see me crying. So I broke away from the crowd and was able to just do my own thing going down the trail. And I made awesome time going down the trail. But um, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a, a disappointer. I think like I got in the car and I think everyone was expecting me to be like, oh, that was so amazing. Well, I don't know. And what... I started I just I just sat there and was like crying. Uh, <laughs> I was so was disappointed. Sad. But I don't know why they didn't have the person waiting at the top to say, OK, now you have to go back. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, I would have much rather have appreciated someone sitting at the start of the trailhead. Yeah. And at three thirty, if they didn't want people starting the trail after three thirty, cutting people off and saying, hey, you're the last person I'm letting on this trail. When you get to the top, let the ranger up there know. And mm-hmm. then that ranger can start making their way back down. Yeah. That I felt would have then allowed everyone who was on the trail to complete the trail. And again, everyone moves at their different pace. And I got stuck behind some people at times that were moving a little bit slower in a group or wanting to stop and take pictures. And that kind of held everyone back. It's totally not their fault, but that's going to happen as well. And I guess I just really would have liked to have known that there was a possibility that I wasn't going to be able to complete this trail just because of like what it meant to yeah. me to be able to do it by myself for the first time and to know you guys were waiting for me to get up there and to have that moment with you guys. I was going to try and FaceTime with you or have a picture to show my boys like I did this. And instead, like, I'm so close. And someone says, no, I'm sorry. Turn around. You're done. So that's yeah. OK, though. We'll do it again. We're so, we're six we're miles here. away. We're, we'll go we're back. We're going to be here a few more days. We'll go yeah. back and we'll we'll all do it together. And, you know, now we know, too, that we can do part of it with our boys. Our yeah. boys, we have a couple boys that are. We'll get them to the steep part and yeah, then stop. And then absolutely. we'll take turns going the rest of the way up. Yeah. So in the end, we learned something about the trail and we can now go back as a family and do it together. And then you and I can complete the areas where the boys don't feel comfortable going on. So lots of reasons to get to. The tent rocks early in the day. One being that this, don't be Abby and <laughs> that you don't want around. the trail to close on you. The other being you just won't have to wait in that line, which can get they say can get you know pretty extensive during the weekends and during the summer. Also, we've heard that it, it is windy around here. It gets very windy around here. Our campground has had some serious wind. issues we're up on a hill what we understand is that it is more windy generally in the afternoon and usually if you get to tent rocks earlier in the day you're going to deal with a little bit less wind potentially and it's not really a place that i would want to go on a day where they forecast a ton of wind at least not go up that the the canyon trail yeah i wouldn't want it to have been up at the top of that canyon trail on a day where it's like 30 40 mile an hour gusts. Yeah, and with the slot canyon, it's just like blowing like a wind tunnel. Yeah, because once you get to the top, too, of this slot canyon trail, it is just a a rocky climb. It is not, you know, that sand or gravel type that you're going to experience down on the canyon floor. It becomes rocky. It becomes steep. It becomes narrow. You know, it's there's a few places where there are steps. They really like to space their steps out. It's not like just going up a staircase. It's like for every one step, it's like 
two actual staircase steps. All right. So that is the Kashikatui National Monument. We think it's really well worth checking out on your way up Interstate 25 in between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Yeah, couldn't recommend it enough. And especially if you're staying at the Coach D Lake Recreation Area where we are, which is a lovely campground that, again, we'll talk about on one of the next couple episodes coming up. All right, let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. Brain teaser. Here we go. This is a bit of a longer one. So sit tight. Oh, oh I'm <laughs> I'm tight in my sitting right now. A Japanese ship was en route to a mission in foreign seas. The captain of the ship felt tired and thought of taking a shower. Before showering, he removed his diamond ring and Rolex and kept them on the table. When he returned from showering, he found that the ring and watch were stolen. He called the five members of the crew whom he suspected and asked them what they were doing for the last 15 minutes. The cook with a butcher knife in his hand. I was in the fridge room getting meat for cooking. The engineer with a high beam torch in his hand. I was working on the generator engine. The seaman. I was on the mast correcting the flag which was upside down by mistake. The radio officer. I was trying to make contact with the company to inform them about our position. The navigation officer. I'm on night watch, so I was sleeping in my cabin. Upon listening to them, the captain caught the lying member. Who do you think stole the valuables? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that is so good. I'm going to have to listen to that again because I kept trying to figure out where's the word like what's the operative word there that's gonna uh, if you if you don't have mm. it rewind it a few times and listen yeah just rewind and listen there's to a you. clue in there there is that's All a right. good one we will be back next week with a brand new brain teaser and the answer to that one and a whole lot more other stuff so if you do have the answer email us at editor at rvmiles.com and you could win a new rv miles t-shirt And if you are enjoying this podcast, please make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we would love a five-star review as well. And until next week, everyone, keep logging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.